Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Drew Horning, and on this podcast, we catch up with graduates for conversations around how their internal work in the process is informing their life outside the process, how their spirit and how their love is living in the world around them, their everyday radius. My name is Drew Horning, and welcome to the Hoffman Podcast. Today we have Katie Salvage. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much. Thanks um, for having me. <laughs> yeah, you're you're welcome. And would you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Katie Salvage. Uh, I graduated from the Hoffman Process about, gosh, thirteen years ago, twelve years ago. Um, I currently work for a nonprofit organization called Challenge Day, and a lot of what I learned at Hoffman has helped me do what I do in my work now, like better. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was. Um, uh, I know a little bit about Challenge Day because I have worked with some of your facilitators, and you're a you're a, uh, a lead coach and a facilitator for Challenge Day. I am. What What is that? job like katie <laughs> it is the most rewarding and exhausting job i've ever had uh we get an opportunity to just you know before this pandemic started anyway um go into schools all around the continent and put on a six and a half hour workshop for about 100 students and 25 adults and they get an opportunity to get to know each other in a real way and set down their image and actually connect human being to human being. So, so it's the, these guys don't they get out of their classes yes. and get to be with you all day in the gym or the auditorium. Yeah, pretty, exactly. And exactly. is it they just usually, you with a hundred people or so? It's uh, myself and then one other facilitator. There's about fourteen of us that do this, so we always do it in pairs. Wow, mm-hmm. and it's um. Why do you think, I mean, there's obviously a need, but what do you notice in the students as you work with them in different high schools day after day? So many of them, I think, feel like they have to uphold a certain way of existing and being because that's what they see around them. And then when they experience this challenge day, They get to see what's underneath that image and what people are actually going through. And it feels like a more, like a truer version of themselves gets to come out. So it's like their persona, they get to let go of their persona. Yeah. And the, the ways they feel they have to posture or tell a bunch of jokes to fit in or pretend like they don't care and they're the outcast and then not fit in. Like there's so many things that are involved there that it levels the playing field for one day. And they realize, Oh, that person I've been hurting or messing with like has a story or that person I thought had a perfect family. They're struggling too. So it really helps to connect people on a different level. And is that, is that part of what you call the iceberg? Exactly. Yeah. We take the image of an iceberg only showing 10% of it 
And that's what we feel people do. We show 10% of who we really are. That's what we're comfortable with the world seeing. But then there's 90% of who we are that's underneath that a lot of people don't know. And so for one day, we encourage them to drop that waterline, so to speak, and be who they are and see if the outcome of this day is different than every other day when they're not doing it. Oh, it that, is, I, yeah. I love that. So, so you take, I was just going to ask about really in a day and, and, and you actually turn that on its head and say, yeah, it is a day. And if you give us one day and you're different mm -hmm. at the end of the day, then what's possible for your other days? Exactly. And although they can't have that exact same challenge they experience every day because that's not possible, they do get a taste of realness and uh, having their minds opened. And if they just do one thing differently after that, then it's worth it. Mm. Yeah. So um, can you take us to a moment during a day? I read a little bit about uh, if you really knew me and crossing the line, but mm -hmm. take us into a moment in time during challenge day. What's happening? Where are you? Yeah. So we give them, like I mentioned, just an opportunity to understand so many of us are pretending, you know, in that image, we can come across as being fake and um, we give that image of the iceberg. And then I think what really helps is both facilitators, we are honest too. We share a little bit about our lives and you tell we your take story. That risk. Yeah, we take that risk right along with them. And the light bulbs kind of start to go on, you know, when you see that. That's really where the day shifts is when we're honest and we're real. Um, and then we say, now you have a chance to do that in small groups with each other. And they have two minutes to just complete the sentence. If you really knew me, this is what you would know. And it's only two minutes for a reason. It's not group therapy. This is just to, a glimpse, a glimpse into each other's lives. And the philosophy there is if they understand each other, they're less likely to hurt each other in the ways that they do. And mm -hmm. it's amazing just two minutes, how they feel before when they're in those small groups and how they feel after. So, so if I, I want to repeat what you said, because it, it stuck with me, when they really know each other, they're less likely to hurt each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And so over and over again, for two minutes, they say, if you really knew me, you would know, and then they fill in that sentence, and then they exactly. repeat it, if you really knew me, you would know. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, I've seen the, the, the groups are kind of randomized a bit. We don't, we, yeah. And so sometimes they end up in a small group with someone they've had some beef with. And it's really cool to see how that shifts. I've seen that happen over and over. Um, they get to see like in a more intimate way, a different side of the person that either hurt them or they hurt. It's pretty cool. That's that I imagine as a facilitator that can create some angst, like, how is this going to go down? <laughs> <laughs> There's a level of trust that definitely has to happen at some point. Um, but yeah, it, it does. And then when you see the outcome, it's like, oh, right. Really beautiful. So you must be reminded over and over again of the power of this work. 
I am. I'm still so blessed to have done it for so many years. I have all these stories that have kind of blended into, you know, one. Um, but just some of the glimpses of things I've seen has been really powerful. Yeah. Can you share something that you've seen? And, and uh, the one thing that I remember hearing about is crossing the line. It, mm-hmm. it seems like such a, um, a physical demonstration of change and transformation. Yeah. So across the line is this opportunity where you get to kind of share what you've been through without having to speak. So we'll call out a few different categories, maybe about 20, 25 categories that have to deal with oppression and different life experiences. And if it applies to you, you cross the line. If it doesn't apply to you, you stay. And then the people who are crossing, they turn around and they face the people who haven't crossed. And it's all done in silence. And we give like personal reflections for them to all think about. And slowly, once the activity starts, slowly the breakdown by the end of the activity is like there's such a unifying um, moment that happens at the end. Um, I think that one thing that story that's coming to mind is we actually, this was years and years ago, I was at a school and it was actually an adult volunteer who had graduated from that high school. We, one of the categories we call out is if, you know, you've lost someone close to you and she crossed and, you know, she was crying a lot. Um, She had just graduated from the school and it turned out at that school a couple of months before someone who was just so beloved and actually really loved challenge day. He was um, a Marine. I think he was a Marine or in the army and he lost his life in battle. And Mm. um, after the cross line activity, we give, later on uh, folks an opportunity to get on the mic and say what impacted them. And this woman who knew him when she said, you know, doing cross the line, all I could think about is her friend. And she said, I have all of these regrets because the last thing I said to him, you know, I was, we were fighting as she was talking (laughs) unbeknownst to her, his parents walked into the room because they wanted no, they wanted to see what challenge day was about. They had walked in and so she gets done talking and the, my partner who was standing next to her said, I don't know if you noticed, but his parents just walked in and she starts crying and the mom walks up to this young woman and she has dog tags around her neck. She takes them off and she puts them on the young girl and said, my son did not hold grudges. You can let that go. And I want you to have these. Mm. Unbelievable. Yeah. So and and I imagine equally powerful for all the other people witnessing this interaction. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it was there was there was magic in that room. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what what either inspired you or motivated you or forced you to um, sign up for the Hoffman process? I was in a pretty deep depression because I had just come out of um, losing a pregnancy that was really far along and a marriage that had just ended and surviving cancer. So I was really depressed and I had heard about it from my stepmom had gone years ago and she kind of planted the seed and I always had it in the back of my mind. And I just knew based on how I was feeling and how bad it had gotten. Like, I just didn't see the point of living, really. Um, It's the only time I've ever felt that way. That's a a hell of a trifecta. A lost pregnancy, a lost 
marriage. Wow. It all happened kind of at the same time. Yeah, I I was uh, and cancer, right? And cancer. And cancer. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah, I was six months pregnant when the doctors found something wrong, and I, I lost uh, that child. And I was so I was in a deep depression after that. Um, what does what does depression look like? I mean, people throw the word around, but mm-hmm. in in a in a at its worst. What was happening for you? I think everyone would answer that differently. I know for me, it's this, what feels like unbearable weight that I don't know how to escape. Like there's no, I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel when I feel that Mm. way. I can't see that. I can't zoom out (laughs) and take a bird's eye view of my situation. All it feels like is this is endless. No perspective. No that I'm just going to feel this way forever. What if I'm one of those people that does feel this way forever? I know some people say you get out of it. What if that's not true for me? You know, all of just like that spiraling that can happen. Um, and I think the pain, you know, when you lose like someone you love or a pregnancy for me, the pain is uh, unnatural almost. It doesn't feel like it should be happening. So I was not okay. And then two months after all of that, I found out I had, you know, stage three breast cancer. Um, so it went from this depression and missing what would have been my child to now I got to go to chemotherapy. I have all these surgeries I have to do, um, had been proposed to during all of that. And so we were kind of like thinking about the wedding too. And it was all just this kind of a perfect storm. <laughs> yeah. So, so how long after did that was in that you were in college, right? It was my last year of college. At that point, I was already 23 because I had gone to a couple of different colleges. So uh, I was 23 when I was pregnant and 24 when I was diagnosed with cancer. Hmm. How did you make your way out of that health crisis? I don't know. It's weird. I, I feel like I always. I had this part of me that I knew I would survive it, even though the odds didn't look great. And I had a lot of help. I had a lot of help. I had someone who I was with who was very good to me. I had I have a huge family. It turns out my mom ended up living right around the corner and they took me to all my appointments. You know, I was very, very fortunate in that regard. And I just kept like hanging on to that, knowing that I felt in my gut that I was going to make it. Wow. And, and, you know, people have talked about the value of the process and helping people grieve. I imagine there was a lot of grief that needed to be processed. You're right. Absolutely. And I kind of took me by surprise. I was so focused on forgiving my parents. And, you know, that was such a main focus of that week for me when I was in Hoffman. Um, but it snuck up on me just getting an opportunity to yeah, process the feelings I had around losing that, that child to me, um, but pregnancy, it will never not hurt. It'll never not hurt. I think what helps me is it happens to a lot of women, a lot of couples and no one talks about it. Why do you think that is Katie? 
think there's a lot of shame. I, I know as a woman, I felt like it must have been me. Something's wrong with me. Other people have children fine. It's, and it's a pain that's so deep. It's almost inappropriate, it feels like, in certain situations. Because if you haven't experienced it, it's so foreign that it, if you were going to bring it up, it would just be such a downer for people, it feels like. And you don't want to admit that, you know, it didn't happen. And it, it's just so painful that I think people don't want to go there. But what helps me now is I do talk about it. I talk about it when I'm, I do, when I go to challenge days, I mention it. And because I want people to know, like, if you go through this, like you get to talk about it, you get to find a place that's safe to process this. Mm. And it took me, it took me years. I didn't talk about it in a challenge day until two years ago. And I've been there for 12 years. That's how painful it was. It was a subject I wouldn't touch. I talk about cancer all day. I never talked about that. And I finally was able to. That's that is one of the things I noticed too. I'm wondering if you feel similar and that is that, um, the, the processing on in some very healthy and boundaried way, Mm -hmm. um, the processing of our own stuff as teachers and facilitators, just by leading other people through their work. It's a pretty <laughs> cyclical, beautiful experience, I think. So, yeah. so when you say cyclical, what share what that means for you? You know, how you learn more when you teach. Mm. I think the same is true for our experiences. I can, that shouldn't be the only place I heal is when I'm, you know, helping others with their healing. But it can, it's like a natural byproduct of, helping people through some of the hardest things they've gone through is that you get a different perspective or I get, and I should say a different perspective on my stuff (laughs) because um, it's, it's, it's inevitable. If you're really present with what's happening, it's inevitable that it's going to help you. So it's this beautiful thing where there's pain, trauma, there's learning, you share yours. So other people know that you're, they're not alone they get to process and then you get to feel the benefits of that. So it's like, Oh, all this happened and it's okay. I get to turn that into something that's beautiful. Yeah. I think that's a gift. Yes. I, 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 it is a, it is a both and that, yeah. that the, the healing is, uh, and the process is about the students, but mm-hmm. I agree with you. There is some secondary gain that mm-hmm. I know for me, when I come home from a week of teaching, I feel recommitted to be a better father, a better husband, a better man. Mm. And <laughs> um, so, so, so people, um, the process is, and you, you referred to it about forgiving your mom and and it is true part of what the process does is help people go back into childhood and and navigate and rewrite the story so what was that like for you like what what stuff did you get on the other side of that the process supported you in doing i blamed my parents for how i turned out quietly in my own mind for a long time. 
And during that week at Hoffman, having an opportunity to really have some space and try to understand them for, for who they are as people allowed me to forgive them in a way I didn't think was possible. So now when I, even though I didn't have the kind of, you know, quote unquote, typical mom that you think of um, when you think of a mom, I did have a mother that gave me some incredible gifts and she's quirky and she's weird and she's funny and she's in her own little world and I love it now. So when we talk, we, we were on the phone for two hours the other night, like just talking because she's so endearing to me. And I think I don't, I wouldn't have been able to appreciate that about her if I hadn't done the forgiveness piece, like not just in my mind, I can forgive her logically, but actually going through those experiences that we you know, went through at Hoffman allowed it to happen on such a deep foundational level. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I do so love that about the process is that it mm-hmm. is immersive and experiential. And, you know, forgiveness is a word, it's an idea, mm-hmm. but the process really makes it a cellular experience. It does. And um, uh, what a, what a, <laughs> What a transformation to metabolize hurt, anger, pain, and to see mm-hmm. uh, unique and quirky and mm-hmm. kind of this just I'm imagining your mom as this really spirited, <laughs> unique woman mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. She really is. And I don't want to claim that it's all perfect. You know, oh, I just went to Hoffman and then my life is great from then on. Like, no, I like, I, I mess up a lot. I am a flawed human. I have to sometimes, I'm not even talking about my mom anymore necessarily, but I, I still have to keep forgiving. You know, I still have to, when I mess up, learn how to deal with that. It's just that now I feel like I have tools, not just tools that I read, but tools I practiced and they worked so I can use them again. Um, and it's just made life so much easier because life has not been easy and it makes it bearable, you know, a little more effective. I'm, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I hear you say like enlightenment is not a, a destination. Mm-hmm. It's an everyday practice and journey, but mm-hmm. there's something like when you say that it feels important for you to mention that you're a flawed human and that you uh, do struggle and that you do engage in it on a daily basis. Yeah. What, what, why is that important to own? You know, I think it's because I learn better from people who don't pretend to have it all figured out or they're, <laughs> they're not only presenting the best part of themselves when that's, when that's happening, I, I I can maybe learn some principles that they're sharing, but it's not going to help me in my life as much as it is someone who's like, you know what I just did last night? I did the thing. I yelled at my children or I, you know, got in a fight with my best friend and now I'm, I had to apologize. Like that makes it okay for me when I do it. But if someone, you know, pretends or they're just kind of only portraying that they um, are perfect in a way or have it figured out i'm gonna feel shame when i do it versus oh i have a roadmap for how to handle that now because that person was just honest about it and i want to help people with the roadmap i want to say like look maybe i'm one step ahead try try this out 
and then you know and then i messed up again and be on the journey with me yeah that's powerful yeah i do too i think this illusion of fixing ourselves this this endeavor to somehow uh uh, figure out exactly what's wrong with us and then to fix that and then we're okay and we're fine right 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 it's it's i know i still sometimes get trapped in that i'm like oh yeah that thing and i'm like oh katie what are you thinking (laughs) you know better (laughs) yeah yeah so you also wrote um a little i'm not sure where it was maybe in 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 some place but about um race and i just want to ask you a little bit about your childhood and race how do you identify um i just usually keep it pretty simple my dad's black my mom's white so i'm mixed race um and yeah it's a funny thing because i have a lighter complexion and that gives me privilege because a lot of times you know the darker your skin, the worse you can get treated in this country, sometimes in the world, and that's just a fact. So I sit in this weird seat where I experienced a decent amount of racism as a child. And now as an adult, being a woman of color, but having lighter skin, um, I just, I don't experience racism the way I used to. But I went to a middle school that was, had different ethnicities but there was only one other black kid and we couldn't afford to go there but my dad made an agreement with the principal and said if I work here can my kids come here for free and she said yes so when we showed up it was just kind of like we don't fit in um and you know I would see the way that my friends would look at my dad when he would work there and then I saw the way they looked at me and they would joke a lot and call me just really hurtful racist names and a lot of it had to do with my hair I have um my hair is for some reason straightened out over the years I think the pregnancies I've had and all that but uh it used to be really curly and so they would you know make fun of that um I a couple Kids of times can be so brutal yeah and I think they probably don't remember that they did it because I know I it was probably also mean to people. I was told that later and I didn't know I had done it. I didn't know, oh, the target's not on me. There's a new kid. He's Hispanic. I'm going to jump on the bandwagon. I didn't even know I did that. And I did. Oh, because it's I almost like a survival so instinct. It is. It is. Yeah. It's not on me anymore. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, but it, it did. And I've also experienced racism outside of that. Um, in, in a few different forms uh, up is, until is the age there, of probably 19. Is there something you could share that? Yeah. Um, I went, my friend, one of my friends in high school uh, decided to surprise me and take me, took me to a country concert because I didn't like country music and she wanted me to like it. But at this uh, concert, There were, you know, a lot of Confederate flags up, which that doesn't always mean anything. I get it, Um, but it made me uncomfortable. And the first thing the country singer says was like, how many of y'all out there are rednecks? Everyone was screaming. I was the only person of color there. And these two guys were in the back and they were just eyeing me. And I couldn't tell if it was because they thought I was attractive or something, or if they were trying to intimidate me. I didn't know what it was for, for being a woman or, And I had braids at the time. So it was maybe a little more obvious to people that I was black. And I went to the bathroom 
And one of them, as I was walking by, said, you don't belong here. And just gave uh. me this death stare. And I was shaking. And, you know, just I've had little things like that. Um, wow, you say little things like that. I mean, the the impact of that on your nervous system. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting, Katie, is that, uh, you know, the the combination of both being a, a woman and a person of color, they're staring at you and you can't tell if it's for mm-hmm. because they're attracted to you mm-hmm. or they want to hurt you and be mean to you. What an mm-hmm. what an experience that men don't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and white people don't have. Yeah. Um, and I think the reason I downplay it so much is because I have not had to deal with what some people in this world have had to deal with when it comes to race. Um, I know my plight, you know, is an important one, but it there's one that's more important right now, I think, that's happening and that needs addressing in the world. So um, I, it's not often I share it. <laughs> well, well, what would you say is more important that needs addressing? I think the way that um, specifically black people have been and continue to be treated in this country um, Mm. is it needs, it's going to take, I feel like it's going to take so long (laughs) for that to, you know, um, for a black man to not feel like, when he walks out of his door and goes to the store that he has to be still on guard, you know? Um, Yeah. 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 That is the, the, the nature of white privilege is that, um, that those people who identify and can pass as white don't have to experience that tension, Mm -hmm. that stress. Mm -hmm. Exactly. was the process helpful at all in, in navigating your identity around race? That's a really good question. I don't even think I've thought of that. I think um, most of the people that were there, I think I was one of, I think maybe there were a couple of people of color. I think it was one, but honestly, I was so focused on all this other stuff that had just happened. Yeah. And then my parents and the crazy child that I had, that that's really where all of my energy went. Um, It wasn't something that really, yeah, I was articulate that I articulated during that week. I see. So, you know, it's, it's um, Katie, you and I haven't met, but I know your brother Ian well, because he's a former uh, 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 um, enrollment coordinator mm-hmm. and leader in the enrollment department at Hoffman and and recently a Hoffman teacher so he's a colleague of mine. Yeah. He's he's uh he's such a great uh colleague <laughs> to have. Good, that makes me happy. He better be. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, are you and he close? Oh my gosh. Yeah, we we get each other on a level that I a lot of people don't get me or get him and we just really get each other. I think he is one of the most unique, incredible people on the planet. I just, he's just so people who meet him for 10 seconds, love that guy. And that's true for a lot of the siblings I have. I have to be honest, but Ian's got this thing. You can just get away with 
so much stuff because he's just so lovable. He's he he has charm without trying to be charming. Yeah, he does, and then hates the attention he gets as a result from it. I'm like, well, what do you expect? <laughs> uh, so so you he, he and you are one of seven, and you're the oldest of seven. Yeah, there's more kids as well, but in terms of, uh, for the most part, there's eight of us. Um, I was always the oldest in the house, so I'm the oldest yeah. of seven, but yeah. That's a, that's a mixed bag, isn't it? Being the oldest, lots of responsibility. Oh my gosh. My sister just told me a couple of days ago, like, you can let that go. Like, we're all raised. Everything's okay. You don't have to take care of anybody anymore. Go live your life free of this burden. I'm like, I don't know how to, but yeah, um, it was, yeah. Fascinating way to grow up. I was talking with a graduate today and, and he was talking about being around, um, family so much and how much he likes it. He has adult kids Mm -hmm. and he said, everybody's regressing a little bit as well. Yeah, I know. It's, it's funny how that happens. It's, I, I am, there's a lot um, of studies on that that I can't quote, but I know they're out there. If they're I but. know. I actually <laughs> love, I love, that reminds me of birth order. I love okay. um, birth order. It's kind of fun. Yeah. And, and the studies around being an oldest versus a middle versus an only. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Katie, I am, um, I'm grateful for this conversation. Thank you. Me too. What's it? How do you feel uh, we're a half hour in? How, what's it like for you to talk about this stuff? So stuff that's so personal. I have to say having it contained like this in a half hour session, it does, it does my, I sound so cheesy. It does my heart real, real good because it, um, I like to be able to kind of look at that stuff and maybe even stuff I've been through more recently that's been hard and, to realize that, you know, I'm doing all right. And the, all of this stuff that I didn't know why it was happening at the time made no sense, didn't feel fair. To get to talk about it now in this kind of setting is like uh, really helpful for me just to know that maybe, I don't know who would listen to this. I don't know, you know, what that would be like, but if it could just, if I can help anybody ever, that's all I care about, you know, yeah. it really is. So. You know, you, you, you bring up an interesting point and I think it's one of the benefit of, of doing deep work is it at the very least, it gives us a chance to reflect and talk about it and, and, uh, using kind of a psychological term to stay organized Mm -hmm. around it. It doesn't Mm -hmm. take us off or take us out of our body on, on some level to be able to reflect and go back and tell those stories and still be okay has a kind of um, momentum to it. Absolutely. That's a really beautiful way to put it actually. Well, you, yeah. you have uh, shared some beautiful things. So I'm really oh, grateful for you. your, your, <laughs> your transparency, your vulnerability, Katie. And thank you. Um, Drew. Good luck at Challenge Day and Thanks. Yeah, good luck at Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Katie. All right. Well, take care. All right, bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org. Thank you.